We're in John chapter three, verses 22 through 30 today. Have you ever thought about the term celebrity? That's a big word today. We talk a lot about them. They, they're very big people in our lives. In fact, I've always often thought that if my great-great-grandparents came back to life or came back to earth and, and saw how things were, one of the things they'd most be most surprised about, other than all the technology, which would blow their minds, is how much we pay attention to the lives of people who are just like us, they just look a little different, or they can sing, or they can act, or they can, uh, they can throw a ball, or they can hit a ball, or they can run a ball, or they're a politician. And so we, we exalt them to this high level, and we, we worship them. We really do. That, that word celebrity means to celebrate. Next Thursday, a week from Thursday, is Thanksgiving Day. It's not going to be an ordinary day for most of us. Most of us are going to eat food we don't usually use and see people we don't usually get to see and do things we don't usually do. It's going to be a fun day. It's my favorite holiday. But that's what we do for celebrities. We make a big deal out of them. We make them seem like they're special, like they're more than a regular person. And in fact, psychologists have noted that there's such a thing as celebrity worship syndrome. This is a documented psychological phenomenon. They say that up to a third of Americans suffer from, from celebrity worship. See, on the lower levels, it's not really that big a deal. It's just that there's a particular person that you find interesting, fascinating, and so when you see articles about them online, you're gonna read those articles. If, if you hear people talking about them, you jump into the conversation. Maybe you go to their movies or you watch their games and you're, you're just interested in them. On the more moderate level, maybe you have a poster of them on your bedroom wall or maybe you have uh, some of their products in your home and, and you, you go out of your way, maybe drive miles and miles to see them in concert or to, to if they're being interviewed somewhere, you wanna be there live and be in their, in their presence. Now on the extreme levels, this can get really scary. People can start to believe that a particular celebrity is connected to them somehow, that they, had, they share some kind of secret bond. In fact, that that celebrity might even be communicating with them through some secret code in their movies or their music. And in fact, back in 1981, many of us remember when John, when John Hinckley Jr. shot President Reagan, tried to kill him. Why? Because he believed that the movie star Jodie Foster would be impressed by his actions and would fall in love with him. Now, I think all of us can say that's nuts and that's wrong. But I, I'm here to tell you that all of us struggle with a particular form of celebrity worship. There's a particular person that we all celebrate that we shouldn't. And I'm not talking about LeBron James or Taylor Swift or Dwayne The Rock Johnson or anybody you want to name. I'm talking about somebody very different. And I'm going to tell you who that is in a moment and how we find the cure in the life of John the Baptist. So John chapter three, verse 22. After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside and he remained there with them and was baptizing. John also was baptizing at Anon near Salim because water was plentiful there and people were coming and being baptized for John had not yet been put in prison. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing and all are going to him. Now, I want you to think about this for a moment. If you're one of John's disciples back then, you followed this man because you thought he had answers. You followed him because you thought out of all the teachers in Israel, he's the one that could guide me into the truth. Now, 
all of us are part of groups, right? You're, you're, you're a fan of a particular team or you're a, a member of a, a political party or some other group that you're proud of. And, and if you're part of a group, you fight for that group. You're, you, you're excited to see it grow. You wanna recruit others to be like you. At the same time, it makes you upset if you start losing members. That's true of churches. When a church starts to dwindle, there's a sense of insecurity. There's a sense of what's going on here. We need to do something about this. And these men, these disciples of John were jealous for his sake because not so long ago, he was the most famous man in Israel. Everybody wanted to hear him preach. But now his movement is starting to dwindle. It's starting to trickle away as people are starting to go to this new guy, Jesus, who they don't know. And they're jealous on his behalf. And you expect John to say, and in fact, anybody would say, any pastor of a church would say, well, we need to do something about this. We need to stop this. Let's go see if we can win back some of those people who've gone to that other church. Let's, let's see if we can stop these people from voting for that other party or from rooting for that other team. But John says something different. His response is this, verse 27. John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. Now, note that John uses a wedding metaphor, and this is common in the New Testament. You see this when Jesus talks about the the coming, the, the second coming and the kingdom of God. John here says, I'm the bridegroom. I'm not the show. Jesus is the show. He's the bridegroom. I'm just the best man. I was part of a wedding once a long, long time ago. I was in college at the time and uh, some very young people, just a little older than me, were getting married. They asked me to be an usher. I wasn't one of the groomsmen, which I'm thankful for because it turns out the groomsmen, led by the best man, decided to play a prank on on the bride and groom on wedding day. Don't do this, by the way. I'll get into that in a moment. But uh, they, they, they took the keys of the car that the bride and groom were gonna go to their honeymoon in and they filled up the car with hot air popcorn. I mean, filled it. So, you know, wedding ends, reception is over, bride and groom are running to their car. We're throwing rice at them. They're excited. They open the door, popcorn comes flooding out. Now, this was supposed to be funny, right? Nobody laughed. Because you could instantly see two things. You could instantly see on the groom's face, number one, he knew exactly who did it and he was very angry about it. And I don't blame him because I remember my wedding day. I wasn't there for the reception. I, I I, I was there to get to the honeymoon, okay? That's what I was excited about. And he was too. And the fact that this roadblock had been placed before him, that he was shoveling popcorn out of this car and then finally the the bride's father comes up and says, here, take my car. I will clean it up. And, and the, the weird thing was, I mean, the whole time, he's not, he's not even looking at his best man. He's so mad at him. He's not gonna make eye contact. He's not gonna give him the satisfaction. It was one of the most awkward things I've ever witnessed because it totally backfired. Now, ever since then, Ever since I became a pastor, at least, I've thought back to that. And I, get, I give this little speech whenever I get to talk to wedding parties the night before. And I sit down with the bride's groom, bride, bridesmaids and the groomsmen and I say, listen, okay, tomorrow is their day. Let's be honest, tomorrow is her day, okay? His job is to show up. She's been working, planning for weeks, months, maybe even years. This is, this is the only one of these she gets. You have one job and that is 
to make it special for her. Your job is not to call attention to yourself. Your job is not to be funny. Your job is not to, in any way, make yourself the show. She's the show. And usually that works. John is saying the same thing about himself. I'm not the show. If, if I'm calling attention to myself, I'm not doing my job. My movement, the size of my movement, my ego does not matter. What matters is that I'm pointing people to him because he is the bridegroom. He's the one. He's the one you came to see. He's the one that can save you. And that's our job too. We follow in John's footsteps. Our job is to highlight the bridegroom. Our job is to make everyone see him. Now you might say, well, why? Why is Jesus so insecure that he needs to pretend that every day is his wedding day? Jesus is not insecure. He does not need your praise. He does not need you. He loves you. That's what grace is. But here's why we need to draw attention to him every single day and not ourselves. Because the fundamental problem with the world, I don't know if you've realized this yet, the fundamental problem with the world, the, the reason behind all the pain and struggle and problems of our planet is that God and man are separated because we've abandoned him. We've walked away. Our sin has separated us from the Father. And so he, he took drastic steps. He became a man named Jesus who came into this world, laid down his life for our sins so that a door could be opened for reconciliation between humans and God. Through him, there's salvation. So when we make a big deal about Jesus, it's not just good for us, and it's not just obedient to the scriptures, it is literally saving people's lives. It is literally participating in the redemption of our world. The problem is we have a worship issue, celebrity worship syndrome, and the celebrity we worship, the person we wanna celebrate is us. We all secretly, in our own way, want to make a big deal out of ourselves. We're like the best man who stands up and says, let me tell you a little story instead of focusing the attention on the bride. We're like the bridesmaid who, who draws attention to herself instead of making sure that everything is about the, the real person that matters. Now, there's three different ways this manifests itself. And, and none of you are going to fall into all three of these categories, but most of you, if not all of you, will fall into one. So number one, our celebrity worship problem uh, manifests itself in a compulsive need to be admired. Going back to the 1950s, about the time modern media started, right? Around the time rock and roll began and modern media became a ubiquitous. Uh, from then on, every time you would ask young people. In fact, surveys have been done down through the generations asking, okay, you're a teenager. What do you hope happens when you grow up? What do you hope your life turns into? What are your dreams? What are your plans? And more than I want to have a beautiful, loving family, more than I want to have a job that I enjoy, or more than I want to be rich is I'd love to be famous. And back in the 50s and 60s, it was, you know, I, it'd be great if like a movie scout ran into me at a, at a drugstore and said, we want to make you the next Clark Gable or Marilyn Monroe. But now it's, you know, I could start my own YouTube channel and people all over the world would watch my stuff and think I'm awesome. 
I'll admit, I mean, thank God there was no social media and YouTube when I was a teenager. That would have been horrible for me. But I guarantee you, when I was that age, I daydreamed that someday I would come home from my 10th or 20th high school reunion and everybody would be like, hey, there's Jeff. Hey, man, we watch you on TV every night. And I tell my kids, that's that guy I went to high school with. Man, it's so great to see you. And then I'd really feel like something. And I wanted that when I was that age. And thank God God didn't give it to me because I'd be the worst. And most people are. And even if you're past the point, past the age where you say, you know, I don't dream of that, I don't want that, deep down inside there are a lot of us who like to be the center of attention, who love to be the one that tells the joke that everyone laughs at, who love to expound and hold forth and everyone sits around and listens to our stories. And we get, we get a little unnerved when other people are the center of attention, when we, when we find out there's been a party that we didn't get invited to. And I can just tell you, as someone, let me just testify from a, from a firsthand standpoint that people-pleasing is like running on a treadmill. You're doing a lot of work and you're getting really worn out and you're not getting anywhere. And when you finally get off that treadmill and you finally come before the Lord and you say, Lord, I am done trying to champion myself, being the, the agent of myself, trying to promote me to the world and worried every day about what others think of me. I'm done with that. I wanna start just, just full-time promoting you in all my actions, in all my ways. And when you get off that treadmill, there's such a sense of relief. So if you're one of those people like me, confess it before the Lord, admit it, ask God to change you. There's a second way this manifests, and that is in a compulsive need, compulsive need to be heard. Now, there's a certain breed of folks, and we talked about these folks, and some of you are in this category. Talked about these folks a couple of weeks ago when we talked about John's boldness. We talked about how there are folks who, they don't care. They don't need to be liked. They don't need to be admired as long as they're heard because they've got opinions. And they're fine if they make you mad. In fact, in fact, if you're one of these people, you probably think to yourself, people are way too sensitive today. It does you some good to get your toes stepped on, to, to get your panties in a bunch once in a while. You know, it's, it's all right if I offend you. And you know what? I agree with you. We are way too sensitive today. The problem is this. When we offend people for things that don't matter, we put ourselves in the spotlight and drive them away from Christ. We're, we're known as Christians, and yet people think, well, like, apparently being a Christian means being a loudmouth jerk. See, there are things that are worth offending people for. I'll, I'll give you one example. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. When you speak the truth about the gospel story, there are some people who hear that and for the first time a light goes on and it is the most beautiful thing they've ever heard and their life changes forever because they realize God is real and he loves me and he wants me just as I am and he can change my life without me doing anything except believing in him. And yeah, that's beautiful. But then there's a whole other group of people who hear that and it makes them angry because they say that's so intolerant. That's so ridiculous. And by the way, how dare you tell me that I'm so sinful that God had to die in my place? The gospel can be incredibly offensive. If you offend someone with the gospel, 
then you've done God's work. You, you've done what you're supposed to do. You're not responsible for their response. You're just responsible to faithfully tell the truth. And there are other ways to speak truth that is good and right and yet makes people mad. If you, if you confront someone who's headed down the wrong direction and you try to save them from self-destruction, if you, if you speak honest truth to someone that can save their souls and they don't like it, well, you have nothing to apologize for. But on the other hand, let's get real. If you're just the, the Walmart version of one of those guys that has a talk show on CNN or, or, or Fox News, and you're just blathering on about stuff and making people mad and, and, and trying to own people, well, you're not really advancing the cause of Christ, are you? You're just, you're just in love with being right. You're just in love with, with feeling like you've put someone in their place. And you need to confess that. If you know that you are a bold person by nature, and some of you are, it is a gift and it can be used for incredible good. But if you know you're one of those people, then you need to pray on a regular basis. Lord, keep me humble. Help me to always use this gift of boldness for your good and not for my glory. And when you know you've stepped over the line, when you know you've made it about yourself, and you will, because you're a sinner just like me, you confess it to God and you ask his forgiveness and you say, we're not gonna do this again. There's a third way. And this is the one I really need to be careful on because I don't want to be misinterpreted, nor do I want to make anyone feel like they don't matter, all right? And that is, there are people who have a compulsive need to be noticed by others. And what I mean by that is, there are people who, they, they, would, they would say, I'm not an outgoing person, I'm not outspoken, I don't need to tell jokes or, or, or be the center of attention, but but they, they find their way of celebrating themselves is through a sense of victimhood and, and emphasizing their own suffering. I, I was pastor of a church years ago in, in another town, a small town, and I hadn't been there long. And uh, there was a woman in our church that went to the hospital. By the time I heard that she was in the hospital, she'd already come home. And I, back then and even today, love the opportunity to visit someone in the hospital or to go into someone's home who's lost a loved one and pray with them. Um, in those small churches that I pastored for most of my years, uh, I got to do that for everybody. And that was a joy and a privilege. And in a church this size, I, I can't cover everyone. Even with all of our pastoral staff, we can't cover everyone. And, and we hope that that's what life groups will do. Life groups are supposed to walk alongside the members of their group and, and carry burdens with them. And if you're out for a while, uh, call you up and say, what's going on? Can I help you in some way? That's why we tell you, don't just come to worship. Get involved in a life group. Bear one another's burdens and still fulfill the law of Christ. Now, I tell you all that to say this. I, I called this woman up. Mrs. Rogers is what I'm gonna call her here. And I said, I, I'm so sorry. I, I wasn't there for you. I, I didn't know you were in the hospital until it was too late. And she said, it's okay, don't worry about it. And I felt really good about that conversation. And about an hour later, a guy from the church called me and he said, hey, um, did you know Mrs. Rogers was in the hospital? I said, yeah, but she's home now. And he said, I know, but did you visit her? And I said, no, but we talked on the phone and she said, everything's all right. And he paused for a moment. He said, listen, you're new. I need you to, I need you to hear me on this. You need to go visit her. Go by her house and visit her. Now I was in my late 20s. And so that meant that I was about roughly half as smart as I thought I was. But... I was smart enough to take that advice and I'm glad I did. We had a good visit. 
and she and I always had a good relationship, but in the years to come, I noticed she was a person who held on to slights, and she was a person who wanted it known that she was struggling, that she was suffering. Now, again, hear me. If you are struggling, if you are suffering, the church's job, what we should be doing is bearing your burdens. That's true of all of us. You're not, a, you're not an overly needy person if you're sitting at home thinking, I've been sick for two weeks and nobody's called me. I lost a loved one and nobody came by to visit and pray with me. That doesn't mean there's something wrong with you. No, that's what the church should do. And there are times when, yes, it is the life group's job, but there are times when you know you need to hear from one of your pastors. And so for you to call and say, Jeff, I need you to, I need you to come by. Or even, Jeff, I'm hurt that you didn't contact me. That is entirely appropriate, okay? I want to know that. And so I'm asking you to use prayer and wisdom and discernment and to ask the Lord the question, Lord, am I, am I being legitimately a person who is seeking the comfort of God through the people of God? Or am I using my suffering as a way to draw attention to myself? See, there's a fine line there, and God knows the difference. And, and the difference is, see, your suffering matters. It matters to God, and it should matter to your church family. But you know what suffering matters more? The suffering of Christ on the cross. And if you're so embittered that you don't feel like people have paid enough attention to you and your pain, that you can't be an effective witness of the pain that Christ suffered for you, and the way that can bring salvation, then that's time to repent. Then that's time to admit, I am enjoying this. I'm enjoying this sense of victimhood. This is giving me a sense of identity. This is making me feel righteous. This is giving me the ability to judge others and I need to repent. I'm not the one who gets to make that decision, but you in, in, in the presence of God need to make that decision led by his Holy Spirit. Don't let a desire to be noticed by others stop you from witnessing for Christ. I hope I said that well. And if I offended anybody, please come talk to me. Because again, your suffering matters, but his suffering matters more. Now, this passage, this passage always, always challenges me. And I just need to share this with you. And this may be one of those things that's more than you want to know about your pastor. But, uh, you know, I love what I do. I love preaching. But every single Sunday, Without fail, there's this little voice inside my head that says, okay, do you love it because you love the Lord and you love his word and you love the people? Or do you love it because you like all these people listening to you talk? Do you like it because when you tell a joke, it may not be funny if someone else tells it, but when the preacher tells it, it's hilarious. Do you, do you love it because uh, people are kind and they come up and say, good job. Is that why you're excited about, because I got to tell you, Sunday mornings are my favorite time of the week. I love this. I love it. I lo I've, if we have to do it six times a day, I'll do it. The rest of the staff is like, but you know, it's, it's, I love it, but for righteous reasons, I have to check that every week because I got to be honest, there's part of me that just likes to be seen, that just likes to be heard. And so verse 30 is very important to me. And every Sunday in some way or another, I have to pray, Lord, let me decrease so that you might decrease, you might increase. Get my big fat self out of the way so that others can see you. Let them walk away not talking about me, but talking about you. I need to pray that. And you know what? You do too. 
Even though you're not a pastor, you are someone who has a ministry, a mission. And you don't want people to get you in the way of his vision, of his image. I'm challenging you to pray on a daily basis. Lord, get me out of the way. Let me become less so that you might become more, so that I might successfully and effectively point others to you. And you can't just do it once. You can't just walk the aisle and say, okay, from now on, I renounce self-promotion because I love this quote. Frederica Matthews Green said this years ago. She said, every day, ego builds a cardboard fortress that humility has to tear down. Isn't that a great image? So, so I say on Sunday morning, Lord, let me decrease so that, so that you might increase. And tomorrow morning, I wake up and my ego has built another cardboard fortress. It's all about me. I'm the king. And I've got to ask humility through the power of the Christ and the Holy Spirit to come tear that down. You do too. And that's not all. There, there are spiritual disciplines that God's people have used for years in order to become more humble. It's a, it's a daily ongoing battle. Number one, there's the, there's the discipline of repentance. Repentance is simply saying, it's calling sin what it is. And it, it's, it's not just saying to the Lord, Lord, I am, a, I am an egomaniacal person who always wants to be noticed and heard and admired, and I repent of that. No, it's, it's going further than that and, and repenting before your friends and your family and saying, y'all, y'all sometimes I'm just, I'm just, I'm just a big baby that wants the attention and I'm tired of that and I want to change. There's the discipline of repentance, but there's also the discipline of service. And one thing I've learned, not often enough, but I've learned that when you meet the needs of other people, when you go out of your way to serve someone else and you don't ask any credit, you don't, you don't expect any reward. In fact, you try your best not to even let that person know it's you. It's humbling for you. Because for at least that moment in time, you're thinking about them and not yourself. So the discipline of repentance, the discipline of service, and then the discipline of silence. I'm not talking about taking a vow of silence like a medieval monk, although your spouse might be thankful. No, I'm talking about simply trying for a single day to go the entire day without talking about yourself, without drawing attention to yourself in any way. And you let somebody else tell the funny joke and you let someone else share their opinions and you don't contradict them and you let somebody else talk about their problems and you don't have to trump theirs and say, okay, yeah, but I'm suffering more than you are. No, it's all about other people. And when you speak, it's to ask questions or when you speak, it's to build others up. And you just try that for 24 hours and you'll find out how hard it is. And yet it's a, it's a powerful way to grow in humility Again, again, you and I are wonderful. We're made in the image of God, but you and I can't save a single soul. You and I can't solve a single problem in this world, not eternally. He's the one. He's the one we should be celebrating. So why not? Why not just come before the Father and say, Lord, it's time for me to retire from the stage and become less so that you might take center stage in my life and others might see you in me. Are you willing? Are you willing to start celebrating Jesus for a change?